My wife and I moved here with our kids 10 years ago this July. 10 years we've been in Wilmington, which makes us some of the longest residing residents in the city of Wilmington, right? <laughs> Everyone just moved here. Um, but uh, it was great moving here. But before we came, we didn't know the city. We knew we wanted to come here to help establish a new church. That was kind of our reason we moved here. But we didn't know the city. So I got it with my buddy, Glenn Titus. Uh, Glenn goes to church with us here. Maybe you know Glenn. But I, I was like, Glenn, you've been living here for a long time. Can you tell me about Wilmington? We're going to come to town. We're going to come look at some apartments. We're going to come check things out. So I will never forget sitting across the table from my buddy, Glenn. And he's like, let me tell you about Wilmington. And he pulls out this napkin and puts it on the table. And an ink pen. He's like, this is Wilmington. Let me explain this to you. College Road, Carolina Beach Road, Market Street, Oleander. That's all you need to know. It all comes to a point at the end. Everything runs into the Cape Fear River. And that was the map. And I was like, all right. And then he, he's like, this is downtown. This is a place called Ogden. This is Monkey Junction. We don't know why. Like, there's all these things. And so he showed me the map. And I remember sitting with that map going, cool. We're going to live here now. And I took this, got in my car, and Lindsay and I looked at it, and we drove around, we looked at apartments. I remember our, our daughter ate ice cream and then threw up in the back seat. It was a memorable trip. Um, and, and, and we learned the city that way. Uh, now, here's the deal. I uh, didn't need that napkin very long, okay? I figured out the main roads. In fact, uh, I probably lost that napkin in a couple of days. Because as you begin to drive around the city, you start to make a little mental map, and you start to fill in the gaps. Here we are 10 years later. I don't ever have to call Glenn anymore to find out where Market Street is. I have filled in the blanks. I know a lot of the neighborhoods by name. I know a lot of the side roads. You know the deal, right? In fact, I've sat across the table from many people and I've been able to mentally draw them a map. This is, this is, you know, college. This is Carolina Beach. This is Market Street. This is Oleander. This is what you need to know. And uh, now here's the deal. As I have become more familiar with the city, I have needed less and less help from other people because I begin to internalize the map. Here's the deal though, I'm a map guy. I recognize there are some of you who can't get home today without Siri, okay? And I, I want you to pray about that. I want you to learn the city that you live in and at least know the road names. I know that not everybody's map people, but I'm map people. I love map people. I, I look, when I read my Bible, I constantly am flipping to the map in the back. I'm like, where are we? Okay, here we are, and this is how far they traveled. Uh, when I read books, I love, I live, love historical books. I just finished a book on uh, the Battle of Gettysburg, and the love that almost every chapter had like a new map of where the, the armies were and the different generals were stationed. It was really cool because it gives you a mental picture of what's going on there. Uh, I love maps. I love seeing the history of maps, like how cities develop, because there's a reason why this road goes here and this road goes there. So maps kind of create this visual representation of what the world around us is. Here's a phrase that I want to kind of use as a launching point this morning. The phrase is this, that maps help bring the fuzzy into focus. Maps help bring the fuzzy into focus. What I mean by that is you can go into an area, you can know nothing about it, but with a map, you can start to get, you know, an orientation. You can figure it out and you go, okay, this is this way, this is that way, and you can get to where you know where you're going. It brings the fuzzy into focus. So even if you don't know an area, you can know the major intersections, you can know some of the major, you know, landmarks, and eventually you can navigate yourself from point A to point B. Hold that thought, fold it up, Put it in your back pocket. We're going to pull it out later because maps are important to understanding where we're going today. Last week, we started a series focused on sharing 
God's light with the people around us. In many ways, this is an elementary teaching. Uh, in, in my cycle of teaching throughout the year, what I like to do is to cover some basic level things, especially around this time of the year where we have new people coming into our community and, and also uh, to get us resettled on what's most important. And then we, we take different journeys throughout the year to get into different topics. This gets us back to one of our most basic concepts as a church family. Every single week as we close our service, I say a phrase or someone does and we say this, we need to go from here and shine light where? In dark places, right? Anyone could say that. McDonald's could be like, we're going to shine light in dark places and take McDonald's to the people who don't have McDonald's. Like, so what does it mean for the church to shine light in dark places? That's what Lamplighters is all about. We've done another series by this title about five years ago because I want to borrow an old title from an actual civic job that used to exist where back in the days before electricity, there was someone whose job it was as the sun went down every day to walk down the main streets and physically light lanterns down the road for obvious reasons. We have street lights for that now, right? But it's so that you can see where you're going and it provides all these things. And that's kind of the language I want to use as we go through this three-week idea because the light of God gives us a couple of gifts. They teach us about him and they guide us in this world. And each week I want to look at one of the gifts that the light of God gives that we can A, internalize, and B, share with the world around us. Last week we talked about the first gift. We said that light brings illumination. And so that was the whole message last week, that if you can shine light on something, if you can uncover what's hidden in the darkness in your life, you can work on it. More accurately, God can help you fix that. And so we've got to be willing to like be honest. This is about things like confession. It's about accountability. It's about just taking ownership of your own mess and saying, I'm a mess. And then to deal with this. And so that's illumination. That's what the light of God can do for us. It helps us see where we're weak. It helps us see where he is strong. That's illumination. That was the first gift that light brings. This week we're at our second gift that light brings. And it's not as intuitive, but as soon as you see it, you'll realize that is so true. The second gift that light brings is that light brings navigation. It brings navigation. Just the very use of lanterns down the old roads or our street lights help us know this is where the path is. Lighthouses, using the sun to figure out the direction that you're heading or navigating by the stars, right? Light brings navigation. How do we navigate ourselves closer to God? Today when we talk about navigation and when we talk about light, I want you to think about this word. This is a controversial word. It's a hard word to land on, but the word is truth. I mean, when you shine light on something, just like illumination, it shows you the truth. That's where we kicked off last week. I see the truth. And to get there, we're going to be looking at a couple of different places in God's word today. So if you got a Bible, we're going to be opening them up to the book of John, chapter 14. So go ahead and grab a Bible if you would. Look it up on your phone. Grab your paper Bibles, the book of John and the New Testament of the Bible. This is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are their names. Uh, don't be ashamed to look it up in your index if you're still trying to memorize your books or your Bible. John and chapter 14. If you need a Bible today, we've got some back near the back door. There's a uh, shelf over there. Please grab it and Use it throughout the service or keep it if you need one. We'll be in John chapter 14 and Jesus has given some instruction to his disciples and he's talking to them about, about the bigger plan for why he's even here, okay? So this is John chapter 14, starting at verse one. And this is how he starts his conversation. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, 
I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And well, Paul's right there. Because everything Jesus just said is kind of mysterious. I don't know if you picked up on that. I'm going to a place. I'm going to prepare a place. It's a house that my father has. It has many rooms. You know all about the place. I'm going to go there. Won't you join me? Thomas, now if you know the stories of Thomas, there's very few things we know about Thomas. But one thing I know about Thomas is that he's like, he's like rubber meets the road kind of guy. Okay? He's like, I just got to understand this thing. Uh, and, and Thomas speaks up and he's like, um, actually, excuse me, Jesus. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Very practical question. And I think it's actually at the heart of why we are all here today. You came on your day off from work to sit in a gym that redecorates like a church building for a reason. And I think the reason that you came is because you're asking the same question that Thomas asked. Where do I go? <laughs> I want to go be with God. How do I get there? Jesus says, well, just, just go. Go there. Well, how do we go? I don't know the way. Jesus is talking to his followers about what we, I think, would call heaven. You know, it's like this, after we die and after this journey of life is over, it's maybe the finish line we're all running towards. What does it mean to be in God's presence? What does it mean to kind of receive that reward from him? And Jesus says, just, just meet me there. And Thomas has this big question. He doesn't know how to get there. And here's the truth. Knowing the way can be tricky. Truth can be hard to discern. Let's step away from the Jesus story for just a second and just talk about that because right now there are so many voices in our life that are telling us this is the way to go. This is most important. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And if we follow all those different things, it takes us in a million different directions. It is so hard to discern truth. Are you familiar with the story of Nags Head, North Carolina and how it got its name? Do you know Nags Head? Anybody know Nags Head? You got to go there. My brother lives at Kill Devil Hills, which is on the same island as Nags Head. It's one of the northern barrier islands of North Carolina. And uh, Nags Head is a small town that is probably maybe most famous for these beautiful sand dunes. I mean, there's these giant sand dunes. Uh, they have a state park there called Jockey's Ridge State Park. If you go into Jockey's Ridge and you get down in the middle of it, it's like you're in the Sahara Desert. You're surrounded by mountains of sand. It's incredible. You see them for miles from the sea. It's a beautiful place. Uh, but back in the 1700s, oh, and also also, this is important about Nags Head. That area near Cape Hatteras and on up is known as the graveyard of the Atlantic. That's what this place is known as because there's these shifting sands right there on the seas. Uh, that they call them the Diamond Shoals. And these sands constantly create these unpredictable shallow spots, sandbars and all these things. And so ships were constantly running up on these sandbars and wrecking and stuff like that. So back in the 1700s, there was a group of like thieves and pirates and just generally bad people. And they took advantage of these sandbars. And what they did was they took this horse, these horses up to the sand dunes and they would put a lantern around the horse's head aka the nag's head you with me that's where the story comes from the nag's head the horse's head and they would walk this horse back and forth across these dunes uh, and and as legend has it sailors out in the ocean would see these lanterns and because of the illusion that it created they would think that it was ships sailing somewhere up there and they're like oh it must be safe over there they're sailing over there we can sail towards those ships uh, there's deep water maybe deep harbor we don't know but of course, they were wrong, and eventually they hit the Diamond Shoals. They crashed up on uh, one of these sandbars, and those thieves would go out in their boats, and they would rob and pillage and, and destroy the ships and take all the, the loot. That's the story of Nag's Head. The reason I tell this story is because it doesn't take long for us to realize that the world is full of bad advice, bad direction, false lights, people navigating us in a negative direction. 
And just like those ships who felt really comfortable sailing that way, because man, there's other ships over there, and they get over there and find out it's just an old horse. You know, it's just some, it's just some thieves. That bait and switch thing happens to us so often in this world. I think it happens uh, to kids who are not having a good home life. And uh, so they go find love in the arms of a gang. And people are like, we love you, we accept you. And they get involved in drugs and crime and all these other things. And you've seen the story over and over again. It's, it's bad navigation, it's false hope, it's false light. Or we see it in the life of a spouse who's not happy in their marriage but there's this guy or girl at work who's giving a little extra attention and they're nice and they're sweet. Next thing you know, you're having an affair and your marriage is ruined. It's false navigation. It's false light. People who look for validation and value in this world through the false light of like money and promotion and bigger houses and nicer toys. And at the end of it, they're like, I'm still empty. You follow me? Like truth can be hard to discern. What do I do with my time? What do I do with my life? Knowing the way can be tricky. But here's what I believe. I believe that there is truth. There is truth. Truth exists. And I believe that the standard for all truth comes from the creator of all things. I believe in a single creator God. We just did a three-week series on who God is a couple weeks ago. I'd encourage you, if you didn't hear that, go back and listen to who God is about four weeks ago. It's, It's this huge idea that God exists and that he establishes truth. And then from that starting point, we can discern other truth. I believe that God has reasons for the things that he puts in order. Frankly, I don't understand a lot of the reasons. I don't even like all of the reasons. I look at some things happening in the world. I'm like, God, why? Why is this happening but I'm not God. He says, this is my truth. And we're going to live my way. So if, if you've been in the place in your life where you've been working through truth and you're trying to discern, like, where do I look? I want you to know, like, one, this is a safe place to go on that journey. Two, me as a human, I've been on that same journey. I'm still on that journey in a lot of ways. Uh, but three, I do believe that there's truth to be found. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And in verse six, Jesus answered him. And what may be the boldest assertion of of all time? Jesus says, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that passage. And, And honestly, we talk about Jesus every single week here. So I hope that you'll stick around, especially as we get into the Easter season. And I'm really excited about the next teaching series we're gonna get into about the kingdom of God. What does it mean to live within the kingdom of God and, and, uh, and have that as a part of our life here in Wilmington. But today, as we talk about what it means to be lamplighters, I wanna use that as a starting point. If Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, what does it mean for me to navigate my way closer to God's truth? And what does it mean for you to be a lamplighter in somebody else's life? You know, we, we all have that battle, internally, externally. To get there, I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better way to do this than just to share some of my journey, personally. And uh, I wish that I had the time to go into all the details. I, I could. I'd be glad to grab a cup of coffee with any number of you. It might take a while to get everybody scheduled. But to just talk about my journey, I'd love to hear yours. As I thought through how do I want to talk about navigating our way through God's truth, I kind of came up with just three navigation tips. Um, and here they are. Okay, number one, navigation tip number one. The first thing we really need to do is establish foundational truth. Uh, 
like any map, like when I sat across the table from Glenn and he wanted me to learn Wilmington, he didn't start at Halliburton Park and be like, hey, this is a little park down in the south part of town. It's a cute little park. Let me start here. And he's drawing the trails in the park and getting all in the details of that little place. No, he said, let's look at a big picture, okay? This is College Road. This is Carolina Beach. This is Market Street. This is Oleander. Big picture stuff. So when we talk about establishing foundational truth, sometimes we want to dive into the nitty gritty about one specific topic. And that's what Facebook does. That's what getting into an argument at work with someone who you know has a different worldview than you does. When we just dive into the nitty gritty and we haven't established some foundational truths, what are the most important foundational truths? I'm going to give you what I believe have been the three most important for me, three great foundational truths. Uh, You might have found some others, and there are more. There are a lot of foundational truths, just like there are other important roads in Wilmington. But for me, in my journey, these three things have stood out the most to matter the most. The first one is this, there is a God. Secondly, he loves me. And thirdly, he knows what he's doing. And forgive me if that's too simple. But when we talk foundational truth, we're talking about big highways. We're talking about the big structures, the stuff that holds everything up. Because if there is no God, then why does this journey matter? And if he doesn't love me, then why would I try to serve him? And if he doesn't know what he's doing, why would I listen to what he has to say? These things have been foundational for me. And if you were to interview another 100 Christians, you might get a couple of others to add to the list. But anytime I get lost in the conversation about truth, I have to back up and say, okay, what do I know is true? There is a God. The fact that there is a God for me begins when I walk outside and I take a deep breath of fresh air and I look at the world around me. There are other theories on how the world got here. This is not a lesson on evolution or any other worldview. This is me discovering this. But when I look at the world around me and I see a tree and I think that tree is a self sustaining, self-replicating being. It creates its own seeds, and inside that seed is the potential for millions of other trees. And I look at that, what I see is a well-designed piece of machinery. No more would I walk out into a parking lot and see a Corvette and think, well, that must have just like happened by itself. No, I'm like, man, Chevy did a good job on that. There was a designer, there was a creator, there was an assembly line that put this together. When I look at the world around me, I can't logically separate the fact that There is some powerful being that put this together. Again, that's a much deeper conversation and I'm glad to have it. But when I begin, I have to say there is a God. Beyond that, he loves me. You know, cultures around the world have decided that there's a God. But most cultures don't believe that God's for them. I'm just trying to appease him, to keep him from killing us, to keep him from crushing our crops, to keep him from allowing us to get beat in battle, to keep him from letting us die. (laughs) But as God presents himself to us, what I see is a God who is compassionately serving us, loving us, saying, let me give you every good and perfect gift under the sun. Let me provide for your family. Let me listen to your prayers. He loves us and he knows what he's doing. This is where faith comes in. Faith is probably a foundational road too, but that he knows what he's doing is where it lands for me because, for example, I do a lot of work on cars. I'm not a mechanic, okay? I know just enough to probably get us stuck and have to say, let's call the shop, okay? But like, I understand cars, but here's the thing. When I've got really big car problems, I got a couple of buddies that I call because I, they know what they're doing. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you know what you're doing, so here's the situation. Talk me through it. And if they tell me, listen, you gotta go do this, I'm like, you know what you're doing, therefore I trust you. 
If we serve a God who loves us and he knows what he's doing and his track record can prove that time and time and time again, I can begin to trust God. And when God says, listen, this is best for your life, when another believer says, this is what I feel God is leading us to do, by and by I can come to the point going, I can believe this, I can trust this. That's faith. As we search for truth in a world that is constantly full of uh, pirates walking on sand dunes with lanterns around horses' heads leading us in dangerous directions, when I can look to a single bright light that can always faithfully guide me to a safe place, then I can begin to find truth, establish foundational truth. That's my first navigation tip. And my question for you is just what is foundational for you in your faith? There is so much about how we choose our churches, how we choose how we talk about God that has nothing to do with foundational stuff. I like the way they do children's ministry. I like their stance on this position. But what if that falls apart? What's your foundation? This is a journey, okay? I'm just asking questions because this is a journey we're all on and we can't deal with it all today. Navigational tip number one. Here's navigational tip number two that I found to be true. Um, because it may take a long time for us to establish this foundational truth. But when I first moved to Wilmington, I also still had to like go to the grocery store and like, um, like drive to people's houses and like do things, right? So even though I only knew four roads, like I still had to like live life, right? And so maybe you've only got two or three foundational truths, but you've still gotta wake up in the morning and go to work and do stuff. So how do we get those minute details? Well, I think the second big thing, this is huge, is that we have to study God's word. We have to study God's word. Hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying that it is sufficient to come to church once a week and listen to me talk about God's word. At best, I might cover 15 verses, maybe more if I'm like real ambitious, okay? You've got to study God's word. Most of you went to public school and learned something, you know, and you had to take time, and I didn't understand this. So then I had to go ask the teacher, you know, and then I had to look into it. We've got to Study God's word, and this is, this is why. I, I love this definition, and, and by the way, when I say God's word, what I'm referring to, and there's a couple ways to kind of understand that phrase, I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the Bible that we have printed. I'm talking, we've got to read it. We've got to internalize it. We've got to study it. Some of it's confusing. Some of it's hard to understand. That's okay. That's okay. So is calculus. Some people figure it out. Some people don't, but the basic math, like, you know, you need that, right? So start somewhere and let it grow. Study it. Uh, the Bible Project, there's a guy named Tim Mackey who's a Bible scholar, and I, I love their work. Bibleproject.com has so many good resources for you to study the Bible on your own. So there's your resource, uh, Bibleproject.com, or maybe thebibleproject.com. Tim Mackey defines the Bible like this. He says, the Bible is the unified story that leads to Jesus and has wisdom for the modern world. From cover to cover, the whole thing leads us to the story of Jesus. And from cover to cover, you've got wisdom for the modern world. Now, there are different sections that are written in different genres, and maybe they applied, applied more to ancient people or certain situations, but the unified story leads us to Jesus, God in the flesh, who gives us access to, to God's forgiveness and life eternally with him. Like, that's what the Bible leads to, and it's also got wisdom for modern day life. In many ways, the Bible is like a map that leads us to truth, because in the Bible, we see God's responses to hundreds of scenarios. And you can be like, look, I'm going through a scenario in my life. Oh, there's a similar scenario in the Bible. How did God respond to that? We see God's track record for faithfulness. How do I know that God knows what he's doing? Well, there's just thousands of years of, ex, uh, of, of uh, exhibit in the Bible that shows us that. Uh, looking at the Bible as a map says, um, that there are many other situations that we can look at in our life, and some of them 
might not be specifically addressed in the Bible. How do I raise my kids in a world with the internet? I looked, it's not in the Bible, okay? It's not there. There's no internet in the Bible, but there's so much wisdom in the Bible about how we interact with the world. So even if the specific scenario that you're looking for is not there, God's people have lived through it. One of the writers of the Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. (laughs) It's just another way of living life. And we've been there. Uh, There's a teacher that I love named Marty Solomon. And in his podcast, when he talks about the Bible and he looks at a scripture, you might call it a scripture reference like John 3, 16 or Romans 8, 5. Like these are scripture references. He calls those references the address of that scripture. He say, what's the address of the verse we're looking at? Oh, we're looking at John 3, 16. And I I love calling it that when you look at the map metaphor. Because if you look at the Bible as a sprawling map, you can see every section of the Bible like different neighborhoods in your city. And you can see every verse of the Bible like a house on the block. And you can begin to understand what's going on in the big picture. And so I want to flip over to this address, uh, Psalm 119, verse 11. It's in the Old Testament. And this is King David writing, and it's kind of poetic, but he talks about his love for the Word of God and how important it is to guide his life. Psalm 119, says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As we begin to study God's word, we begin to internalize it. Just like as you drive through the city, less and less do you have to rely on looking at the paper map, which you probably don't even have, or your digital map on your phone. Less and less because you've internalized the directions to the grocery store. You know how to get there. In fact, when you end up somewhere else in town, if you've internalized the directions, you're like, okay, I don't know exactly where I am, but if I can get back to Market Street, I can get where I need to go. And as we study God's word, this, this concept that we hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him, we can know what it means to find his truth. And then if you look on in verse 105 of that same chapter, it's a really long chapter of the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. But Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. The second gift of light is that it brings navigation. And if it's dark outside and you gotta walk down a dark trail in the woods, you're super happy to have your flashlight, a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. And as we walk through the darkness of this world, if we are familiar with what God has taught us in his word, it will light our way. And there'll be so many moments when we don't know what to do. But the word that we've begun to internalize in us will light our path and will let us know what to do, where to go. Should I take a left? Should I take a right? Should I go forward? Should I go backwards? Should I stay where I am for a little while? That's why my second navigation tip is to study God's word. Okay, so God's light shows up when we understand foundational truths. It shows up when we learn to study God's word. And I want to encourage you guys the Bible is public domain, okay? Like you, you can go spend $50 on a leather-bound Bible and, and get into this super complex study Bible situation and, and those are cool and they're good, but the Bible's free on the internet. Like if you got enough paper and a printer, you could print off your own Bible, I guess. I don't know the copyright situation there, but I think like it's, it's available to you. We have free ones at the door. The Bible can be complicated, okay? I don't like giving the advice to someone who's going through hard lives, like, just go read the Bible. Because then you open it up, you're like, oh, wow, where do I even begin? (laughs) The Bible is best studied in community. So yes, it's very valuable to come to church on Sunday and hear it from someone. It's very valuable to get into a smaller group study session with a few people and say, okay, 
Uh, we're going to just read through a section of it. And we don't have to rely on memorizing and knowing the entire thing to even please God. Because it takes me to my third navigational point, maybe the most important one. Um, I got to be honest, it's been a long time since I've thought about that little napkin sketch that Glenn drew for me. Uh, I, I haven't. I haven't looked at it, haven't thought about it. I kind of know Wilmington. But you know what's really cool is that even now, 10 years later, I still sometimes have to call people who I know that know the city. I called Jeremy a couple weeks ago. I was looking for a recommendation on a restaurant. Like, hey, man, you've lived longer than me. You got any recommendations on a restaurant, right? Like, I don't have the whole city figured out. And that little napkin sketch wouldn't have helped me with that anyway. I'm getting some muffler work done on my car. Anybody know a muffler guy, right? And so... The cool thing about maps is that since other people are going through the world with you, they also have context, right? They know how to find things. And when it comes to navigating our way to God's truth, this is the third big navigational tip. Trust the navigator. Trust the navigator. If you've ever been on a road trip, you know the value of like that person sitting in the passenger seat whose job it was to make sure you get your exit, you know, and make sure we schedule in a bathroom stop and where we're going to eat supper. Like the navigator is a very important role. And there are a lot of really good people that can navigate us through the word of God. There's people like me, like other friends of yours here at church. We can be resources, but when I say trust the navigator, I don't mean people, okay? What I mean is our God. Because if there is a God and he loves us and he knows what he's doing and he's given us instruction through his word, the beautiful thing is he has not left us alone to just deal with it and sort it out. The apostle John, when he's talking about Jesus, he calls Jesus the word of God. This is in the, the gospel of John, chapter one, verse 14. It says that the word, he's talking about Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The actual literal translation of that word is that he tabernacled with us, or like he set up a tent in our neighborhood. One translation says that God moved into the neighborhood, okay? So the word of God became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, and listen to what Jesus is full of. He's full of grace and truth. He's the ultimate navigator. And all throughout his teachings in scripture, we see what he guides us through and how he establishes truth. That's what Jesus brought to earth with him. So it's not on me and you to completely memorize all truth or even know it all. You can't. Your brain's too small. You can't know all truth. But we can know our God. And Jesus can be our navigator through all of it. I love this passage from the book of Proverbs, chapter three, five through six. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Pause there. As we're looking for truth and discernment, I mean, come on, like I, you can see how this is like foundational, but also can be very deep. So I'm just trying to hit it so everybody can go this morning with this. But when we look at the world we're living in, you pick a news cycle, you pick a political party, you pick a thing, and if I'm leaning on my own understanding, I'm like, I don't, I don't know which way is up, you know, because this person has really good points and this person has really good points, but I love this passage. It says, listen, don't lean on your own understanding, but look at the last half of it, but in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Submission is hard. Last week, I don't know if you remember this, but I said, if we want to expose the darkness in our life, the challenge last week was give God a dark corner of your life and let him have control of it. That was last week's challenge. It is hard to give over control. But only God knows the big, big picture. 
And as he comes into our life and he brings the fuzzy into focus and we sometimes get to these crossroads where we don't know where to turn or which direction to go, we can always return back to the creator. And let me tell you something more about our God. He came to the world as Jesus. But as Jesus ascended back into heaven, do you know what he left behind? The presence of his Holy Spirit. In fact, we're told in scripture that that Holy Spirit is even better than having Jesus in the person in this world. Those are Jesus' words. It says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you if you're living for Jesus, if you've turned his life, your life over to him, if you've been baptized in his name. Like if you are living in Jesus, his Holy Spirit is guiding you. A live-in navigator. We're told that he is our tutor, our guide, our comforter. And the more we lean into trusting the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, the more his very presence in our life will guide us. I said a few weeks ago, it isn't Jiminy Cricket. It's not let your conscience be your guide. It, it is God's presence in your life. And as you begin to pray, as you begin to dedicate your life to him, as you begin to be more involved in his community in this world, you can trust the navigator. The book of James says, if you don't know, you should pray for wisdom. God, help me know. And on and on, the story goes. Um, I got a challenge for you this week. Every week I have a challenge that I, I say, let's take it home, let's do it, okay? No one's off the hook. I'm gonna, do myself, I'm gonna challenge myself to do this thing. You're gonna challenge yourself to do this thing. And this is very specific uh, this week. My challenge to us this week is identify where you are in your walk with Jesus and invite someone to join you on the road. Identify where you are on your walk with Jesus. Let me qualify that. Because as, if we were to line up in a spectrum of like where you are on your walk with Jesus in this room, don't worry, we're not gonna actually do that. We'd be all over the map, okay? You might've been doing this for 50 years and you've been on the walk with Jesus for a really long time and you got a deep faith and you're like, dude, that sermon you just preached, I could have preached it better. And I'd be like, sweet, you're up next week. Like, fine, that's fantastic. There might be you who are in this room this morning, you're like, I'm just here because, I don't know, someone brought me. <laughs> my parents brought me, my spouse brought me, or I just, I just felt like I should go. And you're not really sure where you are on that walk with Jesus. The beauty of God's presence in our life is that no matter where we are in our walk with God, we can bring someone along with us right there and they can join us. They can walk along the, walk along the road with us right down the path and grow with you. So this is the challenge. Invite, first figure out where you are on your walk with Jesus and secondly, invite someone to join you on the road. If you were lost in the woods and you didn't know the way out and someone else came across you on the trail who knew the way out, wouldn't you be really happy to meet them? You wouldn't care, like, how long have you lived here? Are you really good at trails? Are you like a survival expert? No, it's like, oh, you know the way out? I'm following you, right? The people in this world who are far from God's presence in their life, they don't care how deep you are in it. They just wanna know that you can lead them to it, to him, to his presence. So let's invite people on that road with us. Identify where you are in your walk and invite someone to join you. Uh, it's not a coincidence that we're doing this series right now because Easter is in two weeks. And I told you a little while ago that Easter is the most likely time of the year that someone who would not go to church any other day of the year might come to church. And so my challenge for you actually is as you think about inviting someone on this path with you, um, consider them inviting them to join you where you are in your church family, to attend on a Sunday morning, to go to the picnic we have on the 24th. I wanna remind you we have these invite cards right here. It's something to put in your hands and be like, hey, we have these at church and I thought about you. Come give church a try on Easter Sunday. I, I wanna be careful how I say this next section, but I, I, wanna, I want you to think about this. 
our goal is not to recruit everyone who goes to other churches and just get everybody at our church. Like that right there doesn't actually help anything. It, it might. I mean, maybe they're dealing with some issues at their church and stuff like that. Honestly, I very often encourage people, stay where you are and see if you can help be part, a better part of that family. Stay there. Maybe they need some healing and, and, and you can totally invite those people to this church. But what I really want you to think about is your neighbor, your coworker, your relative who's not invested in a Christian community. They don't have somewhere to turn when they're going through deep spiritual problems. They don't have, invite them and say, listen, just give it a try. Come give it a try on Easter Sunday. Invite them out to lunch. Hey, come to lunch with me after church. Invite them to the picnic the week afterwards on the 24th. That's a very tangible way to invite someone along with, along the journey with you. Um, And if you've got questions, if they're looking for truth, well, okay. Talk to them about some of the foundational truths you've discovered. Talk to them about some things that you learned in studying God's word. Talk to them about what it means for you to trust the navigator. And it's okay if you're not perfect at it yet. We are all missionaries in this world. Lamp lighters, lighting the path for people to find the truth of God. Let's go to God in prayer this morning.